We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. You guys ready to get into this word? Listen, this is probably the best message in this entire series. It's probably the most challenging message in this entire series. But it's probably the most life-transforming message in this entire series. So I pray and I dare you to lean in. We're going to be in the Word. Like I said, um, we, we got Relevant Leadership Academy over here. And th- you're going to feel like you're in a Relevant Leadership Academy, a, re- a Relevant Leadership College class. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture, but it's going to be totally worth it. Because we're, we're also a teaching church. We want you guys to know the Bible. We believe in biblical literacy. So we're going to do what's called systematic theology. Don't get lost in the big theological term. It's, a good, it's going to be a good word. But before I do, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get our Bible to you. If you do have a Bible, go to Exodus chapter 13. Put a mark on Exodus chapter 13. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to you. If you do have a Bible, turn it on, flip to it, scroll to it. And we will get into this word. Let me pray one more time. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your life-giving word. Thank you for all the life-giving churches in our area. We thank you for Gospel City Church and First Baptist Church and Summit Church and Mount Calvary and the Episcopalians and the Seventh-day Adventists and all the other churches that want to just preach the gospel, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, anybody else, God, who wants to preach the unadrated gospel. God, I pray that you will be with them this morning and that, God, people will be saved, people will be transformed, and your message will be lifted up and draw all men towards them. Be with us here. May it not be me who speaks, but God, will you speak through this word? It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Everybody, shout out the band right now. Come on. Come on. So like I said, we're continuing a series called the Blessed Life Series. The Blessed Life Series is a series that is really summarized by one statement. Listen to God and do what he says. That's the blessed life. If you want to know the key to living the blessed life, listen to God and do what he says. Uh, Literally, uh, uh, we've proved it. This has been the most life-transforming what would it say, situation, thought, mind change that we've had is when we decided to listen to God and do what he said, literally our life came into order. Our life came into order. But how many of you guys know that um, sometimes God will ask you to do some crazy things? God will ask you to do some crazy weird, God, are you serious type things, some challenging things? I'll tell you one major challenge that my wife and I encountered in our life where we had to listen to God and do what he said. So my wife and I grew up in a a specific denomination of churches, and we were fourth generation in this denomination of church, and we loved the church, and we loved our family who was a part of the church, and we had friends in the church, and I actually worked in the church, and there was just so much that was attached to this denomination. There was so much attached to our affiliation with this church. I mean, it was was a very communal denomination, so like, there's just deep relationships and profound relationships that were in this denomination that we found ourselves hanging out with people every single week. And um, like I said, I was working in it. And then God started to shift our theology and started to shift our understanding of, of biblical Christianity. And so he asked us, no, no, no. He told us we need to trust him and leave the denomination. Now, let me tell you how crazy this is. There's another individual in this room who has experienced the exact same thing that I I experienced. This was the most life-altering decision that we could have ever made. Let me tell you something. We were fourth generation. Like, we bled these denominational beliefs. And to walk away from this denomination, walk away from this faith group, was like literally walking away from who we were. 
It was changing and reframing our entire context of living, literally. And, and it was interesting because Christine, three months prior, had resigned from her corporate job so she could be a stay-at-home mom. And now I was about to resign from my job, and we were going to be income-less. But God said, do you trust me? And so we have no issues with individuals in this denomination, like my parents are still, her parents still, my best friends are still a part of this denomination. It was just a journey that God was taking us and our family, me and my wife and our kids through. And we needed to trust and say, are we going to put him first or are we going to put family first? So much so that my dad didn't talk to me for two years. So much so that my very best friend, our very best friend, who we went to college with, we were freshmen together, graduated around the same time, we had kids around the same time, we were married around the same time, we went to the same church, we served together, we were literally together almost every single weekend. Because after church, the thing to do was just to go hang out at each other's house. And we did that. The day he realized that I left the denomination, I have never heard the sound of his voice since. He has never spoken to me. I've sent him text messages, happy birthday text, and all I hear is thanks. It was literally the most crazy thing that God could have called us to do. But how many in here can attest that God's blessings will always meet you on the other side of your obedience? God's blessing will always find you on the other side of your obedience. God will never leave you hanging. What God calls you to, he will get you through. And if God called you to it, he will get you through it, to it, and past it. We serve a God who loves and cares for us. But it's a question necessarily about who would be first. The decision that we needed to make had to be, who were we going to put first? Was it going to be family or God? Were we going to put friends or God? Were we going to put a family over our obedience? Today, we're going to talk about this principle of first. If you want to take notes, if you want to just kind of write down like the kind of the name of this message, if you're looking for a name of the message, it's simply this. Principle of the first. The principle of the first. Like I said, and this is going to be probably the most important message in this entire series. We have a few more uh, weeks left. But if you want to experience the blessed life, listen to God, do what he says, and put him first. Because when you put God first, everything in your life will come into order. That is a guarantee. That's his promise. Everything in your life will come into order if you put God first. Now, listen to this. I never said everything in your life is going to be happy and easy and peachy keen. I never understood that term, that peachy keen. Where did that come from? Anyway, that's just weird to me. I say it all the time. But it doesn't mean it's going to be like lilies in the valley and skipping next to the brook. I said that and I directed it to Zach last service. I'm like, maybe because Zach is single, God wanted me to prophesy that like Zach is single, eligible, and he likes lilies in the valley and skipping alongside Brooks. Any eligible ladies? Zachary Bowler people. But I didn't say everything's going to be perfect, but everything is going to be in order. Have you ever had organized chaos in your life? We're like, everything has hit the fan. Everything is going crazy. But for some weird, you are peaceful and you're scaring yourself. You're like, why am I okay sipping this latte when everything is going burning aside of me? Like, have I lost my mind? But that's what happens. We've got peace in the storm. We've got order in the midst of disorder, order in the midst of chaos. When we put God first. And so principle of the first, this, this, this message of the principle of the first, we find it literally from Genesis to Revelation. 
It's a reoccurring theme all throughout Scripture. It's a recurring theme that we see the principle of the first, and it's a really important principle that we've got to understand and begin to honor, and we will see literally a life like we've never experienced before. And we find, we begin in verse chapter 1 of chapter 13, verse 1 of chapter 13 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, who's talking? The Lord is talking. The Lord, God is talking. God said to Moses, consecrate yourself or purify yourself or uh, uh, set aside, make holy to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Who is he talking to? He's talking to a group of individuals who he's called and set apart. He says, you guys are going to be my specifically chosen people in whom I'm going to bring redemption to the entire world through. You guys are going to be my first fruits in salvation. You guys are going to be the individuals who I bring salvation through, through your lineage. You are going to bless the entire entire world. But this is what I got to tell you guys. I need y'all to do something for me. Anything that is born, any animal, any person that is born that comes out of a womb, consecrate it, set it apart, make it holy because it is mine. Now, I wish I could tell you how emphatic, like I wish I can give you the Hebrew of how emphatic this statement is. He is making a declarative statement. It is like this is not optional. This is not maybe when you get around to it. He says, listen, Everything that comes out of the womb, every first fruit that you have that comes out of the womb, every firstborn is mine. It's my property. I own it. Don't touch it. It is holy. It is mine. This is God speaking. Verse 12, 13 gives us a little bit more context of what this is. He says, verse 12, he says, you shall set apart To the Lord, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Verse 13, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Straight up, Jesus. Every firstborn of man you shall, among your sons, you shall redeem. Everything. Everything that comes out first You're going to set it apart. You're going to make it holy because it's the Lord's. You're going to set it apart. It's interesting that he uses two animals. He says, listen, when a donkey is born, you're going to redeem it with a lamb. If a lamb is born, you're going to kill it. If a human being, if a son is born, you're going to redeem the human being with a lamb. And this was a pattern of life. They just knew this is what they did. So every time a donkey was born, they would redeem it with a lamb. Every time a lamb was born, they would sacrifice it. Every time a male son was born, they would take a lamb and they'll sacrifice it. But here's the deal. He says, oh, yeah, by the way, with the donkey, and now you know, like if you look at any of those Jesus time movies, the donkey always had the pack on its back and it was just, and it was just kind of rolling through. And like donkeys were super valuable because they were strong and they carried a bunch of things. And God said, listen, If a donkey comes out, you've got to sacrifice a lamb. But if you don't sacrifice a lamb for that precious donkey that you have, you have to break its neck. So either you redeem it or you lose it. Don't try to circumvent what I'm trying to tell you to do. I know this is weird. If you're, if you're a new Christian or this is like, man, that's why I'm not a Christian. Y'all always talking about death and sacrifice and all of that. Just roll with us. There's a point to all of this. It's going to, it's all going to make sense. When I get to the end of the message, you're going to be like, oh, okay. I see that. So the donkey, if you try to circumvent what God's requirement was, you would end up losing the donkey anyway. 
So not only will you still have to lose the lamb, but you were going to lose the donkey as well too. It was a principle of the first fruits. Point number one, the firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. So you're growing up in this time period, seeing your parents sacrifice all these animals, redeem some animals, and you're trying to figure it out because now you've got your own house and you're growing up, you, 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 you've matured, and you're like, I had a donkey born and I had a lamb born. Which one was I supposed to sacrifice again? Like, how do you know which one were you supposed to sacrifice and which one were you supposed to redeem? Well, God uses these two animals for a specific reason. See, the Israelite nation, God's chosen people who he was going to redeem the entire world through, God had given them some specific laws that they needed to follow so that they could be set apart from everybody else. He was like, listen, when people see you, I don't want them to see you like everybody else. I want them to see somebody who's holy. I want them to see somebody who is set apart. And I'm going to give you these rules and these requirements because I want you to kind of work on your personal holiness. I want you to work on obedience. And so these are the things that I'm, I'm going to have you do. I, I want you to follow these laws. And one of these laws that he gave them was uh, specifically about food, about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. A donkey was considered an unclean meat. So you couldn't eat donkeys if you were an Israelite, if you were a Hebrew. It was considered unclean. But a lamb was considered clean. You could eat the lamb. Lamb was considered Whole is good. It, it, you can eat it. It's clean. Donkey was unclean. Lamb was clean. So when he said, listen, when the unclean animal is born, in order for it to survive, you need to take a clean animal and sacrifice it so that the unclean animal could be redeemed. I'm preaching. Somebody better know which direction I'm going right now. He said, take the unclean thing, redeem it with the clean thing so that the unclean thing can have a future. Scripture says, we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. When we were born, were we born clean or unclean? Unclean. The heart of man grows worse and worse. All man's thoughts are set on evil. That's scripture. And if we think about it, anybody in here who's got children, nieces, nephews, or babysits kids knows you don't have to teach a kid to be bad. You have to teach them to be good because they always choose the bad thing. Anybody who's got kids around them knows that they're little antagonists and they love to do crazy things and you always have to bring them back into order because we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. All we have in our nature is a sin nature that always wants to be self-serving and not good to anybody else but ourselves. But let me ask you this question. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? So what does the story tell us? That for God so loved the world, this broken world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, while we're still dirty, while we're still unclean, Christ died for us. Christ came as a clean solution for our uncleanness. Christ was given for our redemption. Only through Jesus' sacrifice are we who are unclean made clean. Have you ever thought that Jesus was God's tithe? Listen, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to praise Jesus right now for being. Jesus had to be sacrificed so that the unclean humanity can be redeemed. And the tithe was given first. The tithe was given first. The first fruits was a tithe. And we talked about last week, 10%. 
Tithe means tenth part. It means the first part of your increase. Your first fruits of your first 10% of your increase is given first. God didn't tell the children of Israel, hey, I know you guys are farmers and you got all these animals. Um, listen, here's the deal. When you get to that little animal, the little runt of the litter, or the one that you really don't like that keeps getting in all of your herbs and trampling all your herbs, yeah, kill that one. Give me that one. He didn't say that. He says, give me the first one. It takes faith to believe that there will be more beyond this. It takes faith to believe that there's going to be more beyond what comes out first. Isn't it beautiful that God didn't wait until we were changed? God did not wait until we were better. God did not wait until we made ourselves righteous because we could never. God could not wait until we just developed a faith on our own. It says faith is a gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus came not because we were good, but because he was great. And his goodness overcomes our brokenness. God gave the first. He gave the best first. And listen, tithe is not about legalism. Everything in scripture is symbolic. Everything in scripture always points to something greater. Everything in scripture points to Christ. Everything in scripture points to the gospel. Tithe is not about legalism. Tithe is a tangible expression of our liberation through God's love, grace, and favor. At least somebody believes it. One person clapped. It's okay. It's a hard word, I know. The first portion redeems the second. The first portion redeems the rest. When you give God first, he redeems and blesses the rest. That's what he says. Trust me with the first, and I'll take care of the rest. What you give to first is who you say is first in your life. So let me ask you something. Who gets the first of your increase? Is it the mortgage company? Good answer. Is it your car note? Is it Starbucks? Got the new pumpkin spice latte that's coming out for the fall. Is it Taco Bell if you're ratchet like Zach Bowler? Taco Bell is for sinners. No, um, um, um. Is it Sally Mae college students or former college students? Here's the deal. Sally Mae and Starbucks have no way of redeeming your rest. God is the only one who's got the power to bless whatever else comes after you give him first. Point number two, if you haven't checked out already because I'm talking about time. The first fruits must be offered. The first fruits must be offered. Proverbs 3.9. Now, if you know much about Scripture, Scripture is broken up into different, like, categories. The Bible is broken up into different. So you've got, like, the history books, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Exodus, all that stuff, you know. Then you've got the book of the kings, the book of the law. Then you've got um, uh, wisdom and prophets. You know, wisdom is where we're like, man, I just, how, what are some practical ways I can live out my faith? So you go to the wisdom books, and then you've got the gospels that teach the story about Jesus. And then you've got the Pauline epistles, which were letters written to churches. And then you've got Revelation that tells us about what's going to happen at the end of the world. And so scripture is 
built in these different categories. And in Proverbs, Proverbs is one of the wise books, is one of the wisdom books. We go there to find wisdom, not law. We go there to find wisdom. What is a wise? This is like going down and sitting down with your old grandpa or grandma that you know is super wise and you want to learn a few things from them. This is what it's like when you're reading Proverbs. Proverbs 3.9 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth. I know somebody, I know somebody in here is like, well, I ain't wealthy preacher. <laughs> the term wealth doesn't mean how rich you are. It talks about with your increase, anything that you have, anything that you receive that you didn't have yesterday. So your wealth is, hey, I was broke yesterday and somebody gave me $2 today. You are now wealthy. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Honor the Lord with the first fruits, with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Look at what verse 10 says. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. I know somebody in here is shouting on the insides, yes, yeah, Stella Rosa, Prosecco, Lord Jesus. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about that. We are not talking about feeding your gluttonous ways. He's saying, you will be taken care of. If you honor God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your increase, then you will have everything that you need to survive. That's what he's saying. He's not talking about double IPAs, okay? He's talking about the fruit that we need to live and survive, God is going to take care of us. And this isn't law. This is wisdom. This is wisdom. This is not part of the books of the law. Going back to the Exodus 23, 19, this is what he says. The first of the first fruits. God is so funny, y'all. Let me tell you something. When you read the Bible, if you read the Bible and really like just read it to learn some stuff, Jose, and you read it like, what's God saying? You will find like God is, he's witty. He's like, oh yeah, in case you didn't know what I mean, the first of the first fruits. If you didn't know what first meant, just think about the first of the first. That's the first. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. He's saying your first fruits, your tithe, must come to God's house. It has to go to God's work. It's got to go into the treasuries of God's house. Malachi, remember what it says in Malachi? If you grew up in church, we preached about it a couple of weeks ago. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. He says, bring the tithe, bring your, bring your first fruits, bring all the first fruits of your increase to my house. Where's God's house now? The church. He says, listen, you can't designate your tithe. When you give it to the church, you can't even say like, hey, this is my tithe, but I only want it to be used for children's ministry. God says, that ain't yours. You can't tell me what to do with my money. Well, this is my tithe, and I hope y'all spend it wisely. Well, that's the hope, but here's the deal. Whether we spent it wisely or not, this is a real statement. Who has to deal with the consequences, you or us? He says, listen, you can't designate this. This is mine. Bring it to my house. No, you can't give it to that really awesome missions organization that does so much work across seas. No, you can't give it to that outreach mission group that's happening. That's great what they're doing. Give them your offering. Give them above your tithes. Your tithe belongs to the Lord, and it belongs in his house. I know this is hard. I know it's hard. I know there are people in here like, oh, I can't believe I came to church on this day. Well, I believe that nothing happens by chance. If you are here, that means the Lord had to tell you something. (laughs) But notice... It says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't say give the tithe. 
It says, bring the tithe. Exodus 23, 19, the first, of the, first, uh, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house. Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring, not give. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, you can't give something that doesn't belong to you anyway. You bring it. So you borrow my lawnmower. It would be grammatically and, I don't know, one of those fancy English words for me to say, hey, um, can you give me my lawnmower back? Can you give me? I'm asking you for something that belongs to me. No, that's incorrect. Bring my lawnmower. Hey, all right, when you're done using it, bring my lawnmower back. Bring it to me. It's mine. I own it. Bring it. You don't give me something that I own. And maybe sometimes that's probably why we don't tithe is because we think we're doing a good gesture for God. Like we're doing him a favor. Oh, God, I'm going to give you my tithe. And he says, no, it's mine. Bring it back. I love this. My dad taught me a different word. He says, return your tithe. Because God says it's mine. It's a first fruit. It's the beginning. It's the first tenth percent of whatever you receive. It belongs to him. It's holy. It's sacred. And so I don't give it back. I return it. I don't pay it. I return it. I bring it. And can I, can I say something that's probably going to offend if I haven't offended everybody already by now? Thank you, babe. You're on my team. Listen, everybody else leave is me and you, baby. Um, there's two things you can do with God's tithe. You can bring it or you can steal it. And that's the holy, I, I'm telling you. God just dropped the mic in this mug. He's like, you can end the sermon right there. God, you are so funny. Thank you. We love you. So there's a story in the book of Joshua. And Joshua is uh, an individual. He's a military individual. He's a prophetic individual. He's an individual who's a, he's a leader of an army. He's a leader of a people. And God has taken these same children of Israel. He used Moses who preceded Joshua to get the children of Israel to rescue them from Egyptian bondage. They've been slaves. They've been owned by other people. Now God has promised them, listen, because I am about to bless y'all, because I need the redeemer to come through your lineage i'm gonna take you to a place because you are my children and my children deserve the best anybody who believe god deserves says that his children should have lack is a liar god wants to bless his children that is not prosperity that is the word of god he says listen because i want to bless you i'm about to take you to a land of plenty and abundance you've been a place of lack in your slavery now i'm about to take you to a place of plenty and abundance you've been in a place of bondage. Now I'm about to bring you to a place of freedom. You are going to have all the resources that you need to accomplish the work that I've called you to do. But here's the deal. You're about to take down a city called Jericho in the process. And all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the bronze, all of the iron, all of the precious metals are sacred to me. I need you to set them apart because they're holy and I need you to bring them into my house. You got it, Joshua? Yes, God. We're with you. Let's go. This is what it, it says, 619. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Remember that? That's this one. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Joshua 6, 19. So they go in there and they fight this battle and they're supposed to take all of the money and give it to the treasury of the Lord. They're supposed to bring it to the Lord's house. And you wonder, okay, why did God want everything? Why did God want Joshua to take 
all of everything that they received out of this battle. I thought God only wants the first fruits. Why didn't he give them uh, the choice of giving the first 10%? God, they took the land. Why wasn't it just the first 10%? Well, here's the deal. It's all about the principle of the first. In the entire land of promise, in the promised land that they were supposed to go into, it was made up of a region, and it was made up of different cities. They had cities like Jericho and cities like Ai and Canaan and all of these places made up the promised land. Jericho was the first battle. Jericho was the first fruit. So he says, give me everything from the first battle. And guess what? I'll take care of every other battle if you go in there. You want to win the land? You want your journey to be blessed? Give me the first fruits of the land. Give me the first fruits. So what happened? Everybody say, what happened? So this dude named Akon, Akon, not the singer. <laughs> Mama Africa, you so much loved. No, not him. Akon, spelled A-C-H-A-N, decides, well, here's the deal. There's a lot of gold and there's a lot of silver. And there's a lot of bronze. Listen, if I take 20 bucks, nobody's going to blink. And I, I mean, it's part of my heart. I've worked hard for this, guys. I've worked so hard. I've gone out there. We've battled. We've taken the entire city. I could take a little bit and keep it for myself, right? So Akon takes a little bit of money, and he goes, and he stuffs it in his tent. And now they're on to the next battle. God is like, take the next battle. So Joshua's feeling pretty good about himself. Jericho was like massive and it had crazy walls and all they had to do was march around it and go and yeah, and the walls came tumbling down. And they're like, oh, this is easy. This is light work. So we're going to go into AI. AI is much smaller than Jericho and we don't need our entire army. So we're just going to take a few people because we're going to beat them. Listen, we didn't even have to lift a finger to Jericho. This is good. We're going to breathe on... AI, you're done. So they go up to AI. And they get whooped. They are beat. They're battered. They're bruised. They're lost to this little itty-bitty place of nothingness like Vandalia. Sorry if anybody's from Vandalia. Just, just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know. I'm just trying to make some comparables, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Somebody says, what's Vandalia? Exactly. Um, Joshua goes back and he's like, God, you said you were with us. You told us that if we consecrated, if we took all of the gold and silver and gave it to your house, that you would take care of us. And this is God's response. Joshua 7, 11. He says, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them for they have taken some of the accursed things and have stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. But people, wasn't it Akon who stole it? But notice the corporate responsibility because of one man's actions. Lord, how come we don't have a church building yet? Well, somebody ain't tithing. Lord, you know, we could, there's 6,000 people just in the city of Niles who don't know Jesus. Why are we still running 150 people? Well, maybe because somebody ain't tithing. I don't trust you with my first fruits. Notice the corporate responsibility. But listen to what God says. This is so interesting, y'all. This is so interesting. I want you to see this. Go to chapter 6, verse 19. He says, but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are what? They are holy. Listen, I wanted to say it again. All the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy. To the Lord, they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. They are holy if they go into the treasury of the Lord. Go to chapter 7, verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned. God, it was just Akon. No, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the what? I thought they were holy. 
They were holy when they were supposed to go into the treasury of the Lord. They were accursed when they kept them for themselves. They were holy when they were supposed to go to God's mission and God's house. They were accursed when they kept it in their bank accounts. God is saying, listen, I take this stuff seriously. What once was holy is now accursed because my people have stolen from me and they've been disobedient to me. I didn't say it. I didn't, I didn't make it up. That was God's word. Do you want your bank account to be blessed or cursed? I didn't say it. You remember a story in Genesis by Cain and Abel? This is a popular story that even um, popular Christianity has made characters of the story. I remember back in the day, like the 90s, there were rappers called Cain and Abel. There was kids' books, Cain and Abel. There's movies that's been made of this theme of brother against brother. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, the story is simply like this. Cain and Abel were brothers. Both of them decided one day that they were going to return or give to the Lord. The story says, Abel, let me just read it to y'all. Genesis 4.3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. In the course of time, when it was convenient for him, when he had the time to get around to it, when everything else was taken care of and he made sure that all of his loose ends were tied, he decided to bring an offering to the Lord. An offering. He brought something. He brought, hey, this is better than nothing. I'm going to bring something because you know what? I should bring something. So I'm going to bring an offering to the Lord. Go on to verse four and five. And Abel also brought of the what? Firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So the story goes, Cain gets so angry because God regarded Abel's offering over his that he went and he kills his brother. God had told uh, Cain because his countenance had fallen after he saw that his brother had received, God had received his brother's offer, uh, uh, first fruits, and God didn't receive his. It says his countenance had fallen, and God talked to Cain. Why has your countenance fallen? Isn't it true that if you were obedient, I would have accepted your offering too? God is having a conversation with Cain, and he's saying like, bro, you knew better. You knew better. But here's, look at this. Abel brought his firstborn of his flock of their fat portions, meaning the healthiest ones of his, his first fruits. He picked the healthiest ones, the most, enri- the best ones. Cain just brought something. And listen, what? go back to the verse real quick. Look what it says. It says, and the Lord had regard for Abel 
and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God had no regard. He did not receive Cain or his offering. God said, you, I don't approve of you, and your offering, I don't approve of that either. Both of y'all. Oh, we serve a God. He, our God is so nice. He wouldn't do that. Well, that's a different God than yesterday. Like, the Old Testament God is just, it's just a different type of God. No, he's the same God. Same God yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the deal. God could not accept Cain's offering. Not that he wouldn't accept Cain's offering. He could not accept Cain's offering. God could not accept it. He, he, he could not. Did you know that there's certain things that God can't do? Well, God is all-powerful. Yes, he is. But God cannot act outside of his character. God cannot do certain things. If you ever want to study uh, some really interesting stuff about who God is, want to get to know God, uh, study the attributes of God. These are the attributes that make God God. And one of the attributes is his immutability, meaning God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can't change. God cannot change. Because if God could change, that means he could be better than yesterday. If God could change, that means the God he is today, tomorrow, he can be like, ooh, I found a new version of myself. I can be better. God can't do that. Another thing God can't do, God can't think. I mean, okay, listen, I know I understand like where it says God's thoughts are not our thoughts. I get it. But what he's saying, and that actually makes a lot of sense with what I'm about to say. God can't think like us. Meaning, nothing ever occurs to God. God never is like, huh, how about that? It's like God doesn't walk through heaven and is like, hey, yo, Jesus, this is God the Father. Hey, yo, Jesus, you know what I figured out? It's just not going to happen. God doesn't think. He doesn't discover new things. There's not a day that goes by where God is like, oh, myself. Because <laughs> he can't say, oh, my God, because God is God. He has no God. So he says, oh, myself. That doesn't happen to God because God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Omni meaning all, science meaning knowledge. All-knowing. God knows everything. He knows what's going to happen in the end from the beginning. God cannot be second ever. God is preeminent, meaning he's first of all above all. God could not accept Cain's offering because Cain made a declaration that God was second. God cannot accept second place. Here's the reality is, you may not want to put God first in your life, but it doesn't change the fact that he's still first above all and everything. God cannot be second. God could not accept Abel, I mean, uh, Cain's offering. Because he would have, literally, if he would have accepted that tithe or that thought of tithe or that offering, he would have relegated himself to second place. And he can't do that. So he just didn't receive it. He's like, I, I can't receive this. That's great. Glad you. Here goes A for effort. I can't receive it. So we talked about, I think it was last week, and we had this little illustration up here that you know, Jesus instituted the church. He created the church, and Jesus talks about how we should tithe to the church. We looked at that in Scripture. He says you should tithe. Tithing is important. But by the way, tithing is the C-grade level. We made, we made the joke, C's get, B, C's get degrees, baby, that type of thing. Like, listen, tithing is a C-grade level of your faith. And so... Jesus having a conversation, he says, no, listen, you should tithe, but make sure you pay attention to these other things as well, too. And so Jesus values tithing. It means more to Jesus because it goes to his church. So it 
probably means a lot more to Jesus than we think. And did you think tithe probably means a lot more to God than we think since he's the gave Jesus as a tithe offering to us? To show us what it means to give up the first so that the rest could be blessed. This probably means a whole lot more to God than we think. Point number three, this is the last point. Some are like, thank God. This is a hard word. Yes, it is. But you know what? It is the most freeing word. When you walk in God's obedience, you will meet the fruit of his faithfulness. I promise you. My wife and I have proved it. And a couple Sundays from now, we're going to share a little bit of our testimony of how God has been faithful how he's been faithful. And I'm going to reveal some stuff that some of y'all in here don't even know. Leviticus, oh, point number three, tithe must be first. The tithe must be first. Leviticus 2730. He says, every tithe of the land, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. Again, it's his property. He owns it. It belongs to him. It is holy. It is set apart. Don't touch it. It is holy to the Lord. I want to do a little thinking illustration. If I invited you to my house and say you were a contractor and you were doing some work, and I said, um, I need to paint these walls or I need to power wash these walls with some landscaping that needs to be done. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to pay you $1,000. That's going to be your increase. So after your, you know, labor costs and everything that you, you know, all your expenses that you're never going to see anyway come out, your overall income is going to be $1,000 because we tithe off of our increase, what comes to us. If I say I'm going to pay you $100 bills, 10 $100 bills, that will equal $1,000. If I gave you, based off of the principle of tithing, remember the word tithe means ma'asar, means 10th part. That's where we get the 10% from. It's the 10th part of the whole. If I gave you $1,000 bills and your pay was $1,000, and I said, and I was to ask you, what's tithe, what would you say? $100. You guys are good students. You guys have been learning something to the best life. Now, if I asked you what part is God's tithe? How do you know which is the first? Because I gave you 10 $100 bills. The first of the fruit that's profitable? The first one you bring, the first one that leaves your hand is the tithe. The first one that leaves your hand, the first one that you bring is the tithe. And now here's the deal. Christine and I have done this. Many of us in here have done this. We receive our income. And remember, oh, yeah, I got this bill to pay, so I pay this bill. Oh, I know what my tithe is in my head. I already know, like, 10% of this is going to be this, so I'm going to pay this, 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 I'm going to pay this. And then at the end, cool, I had some left. I had tithe left over. God will not accept that as tithe. That's nice. You can give it as an offering, but it's not tithe. Tithe is the first fruits 
It's the first part. I've given this example maybe three times just in the last few weeks. I remember this. Christine did some um, work for somebody. She did some dreads for somebody because, you know, she dreads you with that fine, dark chocolate, natural thing going. And so she dreaded somebody's hair, and they paid her. And she was in the kitchen cooking, and the money was sitting on the counter. And Christine says, babe, I need some milk and I need this for what I'm making. I said, cool, you got cash on top. Let me just grab one of those. And this woman, I swear, she almost hit me with a spatula upside of my head. She said, stop. Don't touch it. I said, girl, there's money sitting right there. You wanted it. She says, take God's portion out first. Give God the first fruits and then you can go get. Now, Here's the deal. This is not to say, demand, that you get a direct deposit payment, comes directly into your account, Joshua. And Marcel or Julia didn't know that your pay had gone in there and they went to Atomic Bean Coffee and got a mocha chocolate chip latte, glory to God in Jesus' name. And you see that expense taken up before you return the tithe. That's not for you to be like, oh, we're going to hell. We cursed. It's done. You screwed it up for a mocha chocolate chip, God-blessed latte. No, it's not about being legalistic about things. God is concerned about your heart, your heart's disposition. Is are you putting him first? Are you acknowledging to place him preeminent above all? So let's wrap this up. Exodus chapter 13. We're back in Exodus chapter 13. If you still had it on your Bible. We're now in verse 14 and 15. And this is talking about this whole first fruits thing. The principle of the first. And he says, when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to like, why, why do you keep giving this money? Like, why do you keep killing all these animals? Why do you keep like sacrificing the first lamb? And why do you keep redeeming stuff? Like, what's up with that, dad? You keep, keep getting rid of these animals. What does that mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord, br- the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons, I redeem. He's like, We're an agricultural people. We're farmers. And one day, one of your sons is going to show up. And he's going to be old and he's going to be helping you out with all the books and reconciling the accounts. And your son is going to look and he's going to see some discrepancies. He's going to say, Dad, um, for the last 35 years, it seems that every single week, Every single time we've had a donkey born, you've sacrificed a lamb. Dad, we're in the farming business. Why do you keep killing all these animals? Why is it that every time a lamb is born, you sacrifice it? Dad, why would you expend the resources of our income for this purpose? And he says, this is what you're going to have to tell your son. Son, we weren't always farmers. There was a time when we were in slavery and bondage. And God's mighty hand came and rescued us 
And because of his grace and his love and his mercy that was undeserved, now I don't mind giving up the first fruits. I do it with pleasure. I do it with joy. And somebody in here got to know that right now we may have electronic pay and I may text to give, but there will come a day when my son is going to see what I give to the church. How do I know? Because I saw my father's giving to the church. And for a kid, any amount is a lot amount. And he's going to come and say, Dad, I don't understand it. Why do you always get, every time you get paid, you talk about returning your tithe back to the church? Why is it that you're constantly giving money to the church? And I'm going to tell him, like, son, what you don't know is your daddy was not always a Christian. Your dad used to be a very, very bad man. Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, those are my sons. Sons, I was caught up in slavery. Satan had his hands so wrapped around my neck that I was in bondage. But God, with the mighty hand, brought his son to this earth and slew him for the sake of my redemption. And because he gave first of his first fruits, I gladly return to him what is due him. And I pray that that would be the testimony of every individual in here. That we will know that all we're doing is returning what God gave to us already. God expended the resources of heaven by sending his son and put his wrathful, vengeful hand on his son and made him die a death that we should have been dying. But because he was clean and we were unclean, the clean had to die for the unclean so the clean, the unclean could have a future and a hope. It's about the first fruits. It's the principle of the first. From Genesis to Revelation, we see this. I got to ask you a question. Who's first in your life? Because the way you'll know who's first is who gets the ma'asar the 10th part, your first 10%. Who gets your obedience? That is who is first in your life. Let's pray. God, this has been a challenging word. This has not been an easy word to preach. God, this is not an easy subject. Why? Because it is convicting. It causes us to look within and make a decision. God, I pray that we'll be like that old prophet for me and my house we will serve the Lord we will live in obedience even when it doesn't make sense because we know on the other side of our obedience is your blessing we know that on the other side of our obedience grows the fruit of your faithfulness And so, God, I pray that we will search deep and ask like the old jailer, what must I do to be saved? And if there's somebody in here right now, Lord, that has not made a declaration that Jesus Christ is first in their life. And today, God, you're asking them, to at least start there. 
We'll get to tithe. I just want you to know that you are safe and secure, to know that you've been redeemed, that you were once unclean, but now that you are judged clean, pure, and holy, you are now set apart if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you put him first. So, Lord, I pray that there's somebody in here. And if you're in here as all heads are bowed or all eyes are closed, this is what I want you to do. You've got a connection card in your hand. There's a notch there that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. If that's you, just go ahead and check that box. Hold on to that card and after service, take it to the next steps table. We just want to give you a gift. We want to congratulate you. We want to walk alongside of you. But Lord, for the rest of us who are already walking in the footsteps of the redeemed, May we practice what we preach. May we honor you with the first fruits, with our tithe. And Lord, I pray that as we test you, you will show us that your response would be greater than we could have ever imagined. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.